Good morning. Um, hope you're all well. Um, okay, so it's great, isn't it, to be open again. I'm sort of not used to looking at people because recently I've been just looking into the back of a, an iPhone and that's just weird in itself as well. So, yeah, it's all a bit strange now. So, um, yeah, so it's great that John and Ruth have gone for a, a break. They worked really tirelessly recently around you know, the reopening and, and getting everyone trained and sorting the church out. So they need the break. It's really good. So please pray for them. And uh, so I'm going to continue with the uh, Storyteller series, and this is week three. So we're looking at some of Jesus's parables, and uh, John's looked at the parable of the miners or the talents, and the parable of the really annoying neighbour, I've named that one myself, um, it doesn't really have a name in the Bible, but we have named it the really annoying neighbour. Um, I'd be really annoyed, wouldn't you, if somebody knocked on my door at midnight for a sandwich when his mate came round. Um, so yeah, but today I'm going to speak on a really well-known parable, you'll all know it, it's the parable of the sower. Okay, so let's pray before we start. Father God, thank you for giving us today. I pray that you would fill my mouth, Lord, with your word. And Lord, I pray uh, that you would anoint this message, help me to be an open vessel for what you want to do, Lord. And I just ask, Lord, that you would uh, teach us your ways and uh, speak to everyone who, who hears this message, Lord. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Okay, so the parable of the sower, it's really cool because Jesus actually goes on to explain it as well. So actually I could just read it, read what he says and go on if we want, but I won't do that. Um, and uh, yeah, so it's found in the three synoptic gospels, that's Matthew, Mark and Luke. And it's almost identical, which is quite strange actually. It's almost identical in each one of those three gospels. So it's obviously a very significant parable. So let's have a look at Luke's version. So from Luke 8, reading from verse 4, uh, and when a great crowd was gathered and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, to you it's been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they're in parables, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard, then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but these have no root. They believe it for a while and in time of testing fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they're those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life and their fruit does not mature. 
As for that in good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast with an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. So we know that from Jesus' explanation that, you know, the seed is the word of God. The ground or the soil is the condition of the heart and the birds represent the devil and the thorns of the distractions of daily life. And now, a little while ago, I spoke on being rooted in the word of God, and it sort of follows on a little bit from that. And it, it, I spoke about how it's, it's essential to begin, you know, a routine of reading God's word, get to know him through his word. And it's essential for our faith, for our growth, our mental health, wisdom, But I'd only scratch the surface of how the word impacts us. There's so much more. And it's useless, isn't it, if our hearts need sorting out. We're going to read it through a filter of our own making. So, where am I up to? There we go. Um, But the Bible itself, it's so important. If it wasn't, then it wouldn't be, one, the most read book in the world, and two, the most feared book in the world. I mean, it's, it's banned in so many countries. If you get caught with it, you get thrown in prison. And you know, it, it's, it's terrible, really. Um, and some other religions, they call Christians the people of the book. I think that's a really cool title. I don't know about you, the people of the book. I mean, follower of Christ is better, but I do like being known as a person of the book, you know, and looking at that root word like online, it seems it can also be translated as people of sacred scripture. So that's what we are. I like it. Um, The word is more important than we'll ever know, and it's more powerful than we'll ever know. You know, if it's living and powerful, it has to be, isn't it? You know, really important. It changes us. We're not here for ourselves. It blesses us, and then we can be a blessing for others, can't we? But coming back to the parable of the sower, if the soil doesn't have the right conditions, if our hearts aren't right, if the ground hasn't been prepared, it's just a reading exercise. And like I said before, we'll read it through a filter that we've made for ourselves. And some of it might stick, but how much will take root? And Jesus said in verse 10, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they're in parables, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. And he said that to them after they'd asked what the meaning of it was. They hadn't understood. Jesus revealed the meaning of it to them. He was working on their hearts. And he'll reveal it to us. So we need to prepare the soil of our heart and mind to receive and understand the word to produce a great harvest. That's the reason, to produce a great harvest. And we could only do this by surrendering to God what's going on in there, in your heart. And I don't know about you, but lockdown, it's been a weird time, hasn't it? It's been very strange. And I've spent time sorting out my garden. And people have been a little bit more, you know, in love with the gardens, haven't they, lately? You know, it's been one of those times, hasn't it, where we do with what we have. And the thing is, you know, I've loved it. And my son, Sam, has become like my little gardening guru because he loves to garden. He's like 24 and just, 
you know, he, he, he loves gardening, knows everything about it. Monty Don's his hero, I think. Um, but yeah, I've joined gardening Facebook groups to vote, motivate me. I've bought the tiniest little shed. I've got, only got a tiny little back garden, backyard really. It's the smallest shed ever. And this new love for gardening. But he's nagged me, Sam has, nagged me and bothered me, sorry, like encouraged me, sorry, um, about watering, deadheading, feeding, weeding, how to prepare the soil for planting, repotting. And now, like, my little tiny yard, it's like a little jungle. It's wonderful. And there's hardly any weeds. And the ones that spring up are really weak and they're just easily pulled up. And it's an oasis of, like, this abundance, all this colour, and I'm just loving it at the minute. But you know what? That soil really did need preparing. There were things in pots that were just, like, rubbish. You know, just little twigs coming out of pots because there was no nutrition in the soil. And it had to be mixed with compost. There's, there was rocks and stones in the you know, beds that had to be removed. There were broken pots that needed replacing. I lost a, a gorgeous, beautiful rose last year that used to, it smelled like Turkish delight. It was that gorgeous. And the pot had, had cracked and the frost had got to it. And, you know, and, and the rose died. Can you see where I'm going? And Jesus explained that there were four types of ground, that the, you know, the good seed, the good seed, all from the same gardener, fell upon. And does that mean that we fall into a certain category? You know, it, at first glance, it reads a bit like that, but I don't, personally, I don't think so. I'll wait for the bike to go past. Because um, no one's going to say, yeah, my heart is really rocky. I've got rocky soil in my heart. Or nobody's going to say, if you're British, hey, mine's just the best soil ever. You know, they're not going to go, I've got great soil. You know, it could be that we've got different areas of our lives that need digging over, that need sorting out. They might be in different conditions. <clears throat> or it might be where we're at this week or next week. Or, you know, if you've been upset by someone an hour ago, it's going to be really hard to listen and take in the word after that, isn't it? Because you're going to dwell on something else. So, you know, it could be how your heart receives certain ideas. Some part of the word may deeply impact you, but another part of the word might offend you. It might even make you feel sad because you've been convicted by it. Or you might forget it as soon as you've heard it. And again, that's not because the word is bad or the seed is bad. It's because our soil needs sorting out. So Jesus addresses four types of soil. The path, the rocky soil or rock, the soil full of thorns, and the good soil. And the first is the path, and that's verse 5. A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path, was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And Jesus explained it like this in verse 12. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And one of the first things to note from that is that the devil's after your salvation. Simple as it is. He wants you to turn away from God. He wants to distract you and take you away. He does not want you to be saved. He doesn't want anyone to be saved. He's after your salvation. He's after your faith. 
He wants to stop faith in its tracks. You know, his, you know and, and that's his strategy. Um, and the Bible tells us to be aware of his strategy. His strategy. <laughs> We've got an echo. I'll just wait for them to sort it out. <laughs> Are we all right? Yeah, sounds like it. Okay, so his strategy is to steal the word of God from your heart, even before it has any chance to take root. And that path, it's, it's hard ground. It might be compacted soil, walked upon constantly, solid, he said the seed was trampled underfoot. And the more I think about that phrase, the seed trampled underfoot, it's like horrifying, isn't it? That's the word of God being trampled underfoot. It's like it means nothing to the hearer. There's no respect for it. But sometimes you look in a field or a forest and there are dirt paths. You can see them on, on you know, in, in a field, can't you, where like lines where people or animals have worn away any vegetation from years of walking in the same direction or on the same way, and nothing ever grows on them. It's like concrete, actually, that path. Anything that might start to take root quickly trampled on. And now if that was our heart, that soil, compacted, trampled on, stamped down, used over the years, might start to become a bit hard and bitter, Others might come along and then trample on it too. The hardness becomes a protection from any more hurt. Nothing can penetrate and hurt you in this area anymore because of this protective, strong, tough layer on top of it. But that also means nothing can grow. Nothing good can take root. There's no harvest from a path. Water just runs off it and the birds quickly steal away the seed. So how would we turn that path into a garden? How would we get good things to grow? How do we transform a hard and hurt heart or a bitter heart you know, into one that can receive from God? A gardener, or Sam, who have asked about this, he might take a pickaxe to it. That's quite hefty, isn't it? Or at least a very sharp spade or fork and break that ground up. And although this might be painful at first, digging up old ground generally is, isn't it? A healing will come. <clears throat> digging up that tough ground might mean talking to somebody about what you've been through. <clears throat> it might mean counselling. It might mean revisiting areas which have been buried under the hard soil and handing them over to God in prayer and having a really good cry. You know, sometimes it's recognising that hard part of your life, isn't it? So you might not want to, but one day those hard areas will have to be dealt with because God wants your whole heart and he wants you to be whole. So think about, and you know, if you're writing anything down, write down if you're taking notes any areas of hardness that might need dealing with. Ask God to reveal them to you. So the next one is the rock, or rocky soil. And verse 6 says, And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And Jesus explains it this way in verse 13. And the ones on the rock are those 
who when they hear the word receive it with joy, but these have no root. They believe for a while and in time of testing fall away. And we've all met, <coughs> sorry, we've all met new Christians, haven't we, who've been really passionate vibrant for God even, they've wanted to skip any type of discipleship and jump in and do everything, evangelize the world, go to all the conferences, be in every team, but two or three years down the line, where are they? They burn out. They're feeling rejected. They might be feeling a bit bitter. They might be blaming the church for not meeting their needs. We might have been through times like these ourselves and learned the hard way. But unless we remove the rocks, unless we remove the obstacles in our own hearts and, and to first learn to love, we'll end up spouting the word of God at people like it's an accusation. Um, and there's no grace or forgiveness or humility. Those obstacles need removing. Those hard stones of bitterness and sin need digging up and chucking out. It's just going to weigh us down to be like that. And Jesus said the seed sprouted and withered away because it had no moisture. And again, it's the absence, of, uh, it's the absence to the roots of the, the plant of the spirit and the word. It's not a coincidence that they're both characterized by water. R.T. Kendall says that we shouldn't see a separation of the spirit and the word in churches. For example, churches who focus more on the word than the spirit or vice versa he wrote a book on it apparently i didn't read the book this is just some quotes that I found he believes that when we put a balanced focus on the spirit and the word revival will come he said this we need both the sun and rain to give beauty and balance in nature likewise we need both the word and the spirit in order to understand god and his ways the word is like the sun the spirit is like rain. One without the other can result in a natural disaster. It's been said before, all word and no spirit we dry up. All spirit and no word we blow up. And with, but with both word and spirit we grow up. I like that. The roots can't go deep in rocky soil, can it? So the next one's verse 7. The thorns. And some fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And Jesus says about it in verse 14, And as for what fell among the thorns, they're those who hear, but as they go on their way, they're choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. So when you look at your life, what's growing quickest? Do you have things that get in the way of hearing from God, or reading his word, or worship? What do you feed the most? Check out what takes up most of your time. I know I have to cut down on social media. You know, things like that. Are you easily distracted? I'm easily distracted. I'll admit that. Uh, one minute I'm focused and next I'm off like, you know, down like a rabbit warren and I've missed something. So it's the reason I always have a notebook when I'm in church or I'm at a meeting or whatever. I will always, always have a notebook because if, if I don't, my mind will wander. It's a deliberate strategy for me to keep listening to actually write notes on what I'm hearing. I might not go back to that notebook ever again. I've got about a thousand of them knocking about my house. 
And, you know, but it stops my mind from wandering off. I might never look back on it. It's made me listen, though, so it's fine. It's gone in. Sometimes we get bogged down by worries or choked by them. Jesus calls those the cares of life. Those everyday things that distract us so much, they steal our time. In fact, this morning, actually, I've not written this down, this morning I just had a a quick listen to uh, Joseph Prince online. He was preaching and and he said, you know, where is, um, let me just think now, it's just gone all of a sudden. (laughs) Um, I'll come back to it, it'll come back to me, where am I up to? Uh, The cares of life, that's it. Those everyday things that distract us so much, they steal our time. Yes, he said about meditation. If we know how to worry, we know how to meditate. I knew it would come back to me. So he said, yeah, if we know how to worry, we know how to meditate. So if we can swap that round and meditate on God instead of meditating on our worries, then that makes a lot more sense, doesn't it? Okay? They steal our time worries. So let's give it all to God. Let him handle it. He's a good father. He'll see you through every problem. I've, I've been listening to a really beautiful song lately by um, uh, Maverick City called Gyra. And one of the lyrics that stands out for me is, if he dresses the lilies in beauty and splendor, how much more will he clothe you? If he watches over every sparrow, how much more does he love you? And it's taken straight from the Sermon on the Mount, isn't it? Straight from Matthew 5. They're the words of Jesus. But we don't need to worry. So look at where your peace is and go there. He also mentions the riches, the pleasures of life. It's not wrong to be rich and have fun, thankfully. But chasing them above your relationship with God will take you away from God. Okay? You know, Jesus said the seed may grow for a while, but the fruit will not mature. Why? Because the weeds around it are stealing the nutrients. It's like having one foot in the kingdom and one foot in the world. We're in danger of losing our passion, our fire for God, and we'll become lukewarm. So what happens to a plant when fruit doesn't mature? It's cut right back, isn't it? Or even uprooted and replaced. The fruit is bitter. It will rot. You know, wasps will come and we don't want them. Seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness, Jesus said, and the rest will be added to you. And then finally, the one we all want, the good soil, And let's look at verse 8. And we might have, you know, we'll have areas of good soil. We might have areas of all of them in our hearts. I'm not saying that somebody's one or the other, like I said before. There's no categories in that sense. But we will will have all areas that we need to, to deal with. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. Jesus explains it this way. As for that good soil... That, that in good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast, or tightly, that's what it means, in an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience. So when we have good soil, we hold on to the word of God. We hold it tightly, and we bear fruit. And we bear fruit with patience. And to bear fruit, the roots must be watered, and for water to reach the roots, the soil must be well managed. 
When Paul speaks about different functions in the church, he likens the word to water, doesn't he? In the Bible, water, like I said before, is symbolic of two things. The word, which is living and powerful, and the living water of the Holy Spirit. So to bear fruit is to grow in character. We wouldn't have to force kindness or have a false joy or anything like that. It wouldn't be forced in any way. It would just ooze from us. We would just be like that. That would be part of our character. You know, and that grows as we grow as Christians. Bearing fruit doesn't mean, you know, we'll be known by how many people we evangelize to. Bearing fruit doesn't mean how many people come to church even or what type of, you know, songs we sing. Or, and it doesn't mean the amount of people. Bearing fruit means, you know, the fruit of the Spirit is listed in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. It's this, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And against such things there is no law. And this is what we'll be recognized for as Christians. How we love one another. How our fruit is growing. We won't be recognized for anything else. But, you know, Jesus is so amazing. He's so full of grace. He reminds us it does not happen overnight. We don't have to beat ourselves up or be ashamed because we're a bit short on patience sometimes. It'll come, don't worry. He said, bear fruit with patience. He's, it's not going to come overnight. We will, it will come. Okay, so just hold on to the word. Anchor into it. Anchor into it and have, have that patience. He also reminds us to hold the word in an honest and good heart. Don't use the Bible as an excuse to be horrible. Let's face it, too many people have done that in the past and it's quite ugly, isn't it? I keep hearing the term righteous anger, which makes me righteously angered. But, you know, Jesus said in, in Matthew 5, whoever calls his brother a fool is in danger of being judged as a murderer. You know, it's quite hard and, you know, to hear that, isn't it? But, you know, let's not use the word as a weapon in a bad way. You know, it's a weapon against the enemy, not a weapon against people who we're meant to love. Okay. So we can be transformed by the renewing of our minds through the word. We've never been told to judge anyone else. He said, love, forgive, and serve others. Pray for those who persecute you. You know, strong roots produce good fruit. Be rooted in the word. So we've got to do some soil preparation, haven't we? And as any good gardener knows, that's also an ongoing process. So listen to this list and then try and appropriate it to your own heart. So there's the digging over, breaking the ground. I've already talked a little bit about that. And breaking up hard chunks of soil in order to put some nutrients in. We're getting rid of old dead roots. For our hearts, that's dealing with bitterness, past offences and hurts. The hard soil, that's unforgiveness, anger, being judgmental. Then as we're turning over the soil, we're removing the stones. Those areas which would hinder any roots from going deep. Or, or, or making the water run away quicker. You know, though we're looking at what easily offends us and we're changing how we react to that. Sometimes the word offends. If that's true for you, speak to God about it. 
He actually asks you to come to him about things. The Bible says, come, let us reason together. You know, chuck out the stones of sin, being judgmental. I've already said that. Um, as we're removing the stones, we might come across some thorns. Now, you know, I don't know whether, about you, but if you've ever grabbed a thorn, it's going to hurt. They're painful. But their roots will run deep and they will choke the word. In fact, the roots will run deep and they'll wind their, their roots around the roots of good things and, you know, feed off them. So we, we've got to be careful about reading the word through our own filter of hurt. So we might need to uproot those strongholds. Pray and ask God if there are any strongholds. The worries we don't need to be dwelling on, give them to God. The things we chase that take us away from the word, you know, it's, it's just watch out for those roots. Ask God about them. And then the next thing to create good soil, according to gardeners, is to add some fertilizer and mulch. And why is that added? Now, Sam reliably informs me it's to suppress weeds, it's to feed the soil, it's to hold moisture, and it also encourages fungi networks, which is a good thing, apparently, according to Sam. But that spoke to me, that those fungi networks of new and better ways of thinking, creating new and better ways of thinking. But fertiliser... Hmm. Fertiliser, it's a bit stinky. It speaks of the stuff we've been through. We've been through some horrible things, haven't we? Our life experiences that's made us what we are actually enriches the soil that we've got in our hearts. And our testimony speaks loudly to others because of that. So what the enemy meant for harm, you know, the Lord will use for good because he'll mix it into that soil and it'll enrich it, and we can give it as a testimony in how God brought us through. And it's how people are saved, isn't it, by the, you know, the word of God and the word of testimony. Okay. So, you know, when we remember how God came through for us, remembering the past victories of God through tough times, it's really good for the soul, isn't it? It's good for us to remember past victories, and it's good for us to speak to others. And then the seed can flourish in the good soil of your heart. So read the word, praying for the beautiful Holy Spirit to be your teacher. And then the roots will go deep and your harvest will be plentiful. Let's pray. Lord, you are the master gardener and we give you our hearts today. Reveal to us what needs digging over and what needs to go. Forgive us for our sin and help us to forgive. And we ask that you teach us your word. We pray it won't be stolen from us today or from now on. And we ask this in your holy name, Jesus.